it's causing this cultural self-hate and embarrassment because it's embarrassing to be helplessly addicted to your phone as a 30, you know, 31 year old or late 20s year old. Like we don't, we kind of want to, it's like we got into the internet as teens and our model for adulthood were people who are not on the internet. So I think we're kind of going into adulthood like, okay, this is when I'm like done. Right. Right. And it's like hell to the no. Like (laughs) now it gets more intense. Now you have to adult on the internet and compete your adulthood on the internet. And it's like, wait, I can't just leave. Like I used to be able to log off when I was 13. Right. (laughs) You know, so... Hey everyone, it's Darian Simone Harvin, and you are listening to Am I Allowed to Like Anything, the podcast that talks to people about their work, their lives, how they're maintaining their optimism in this world, and what they're currently loving in culture right now. Now, this week's guest has actually already had an episode on Am I Allowed to Like Anything. Something about my own podcast that I actually love so much is my booking process. A lot of the times, I book my guests based off of their potential, based off of what I see about their work, based off of how I see their audience and other people responding to their work, and based off of their potential. So sometimes I like to have guests on to talk about their work in an updated form because they have accomplished so much. So this is very much the case for Alex Wolf. I interviewed Alex in 2016, almost three years ago, it'll be in February, while she was the founder of Boss Babe, a really successful career development platform for women that also doubled as an incredibly motivational Instagram account. And through this platform, Alex was able to turn followers into customers. So it wasn't just about having a pop-in Instagram account. She created a business. In matter of fact, you've probably seen her original quotes from her brain repurposed all over the internet without credit, of course. <laughs> then Alex sold Boss Babe to become a writer. And since then, um, she's written her first book in 2018 titled Resonate for anyone who wants to build an audience. And then at the top of this year, she released her first short documentary, Attention for Sale where she dives into how advertisement business models have exploited our minds and our nature as people for money in hopes of our attention. She also writes to her community or readers, as she respectfully calls them faithfully, uh, through her newsletter. So our conversation is truly an extension of her work in what she's thinking about right now, from influencers to the future of us, millennials, the only generation who grew up with the internet in comparison to Gen X who were adults during the emergence of the internet and also in comparison to Gen Z who right now has only known life and will only know life with the internet. We also talk about the future of media and news and journalism as we both see it. Alex is dynamic in this very specific way. I think that she's made the choice to dig deep into who she is and to also put in the work to understand herself but she also knows that that journey is far from over yet And that's exciting to her. And I think also I am on that journey and that's really exciting to me. And I think that oftentimes we bond over that. And it's one of the reasons why I consider her such a great friend. 
If you like this episode, consider leaving a review. It definitely helps the podcast. And also more than that, it means a lot to me. It really, truly does. And it's sometimes the reason why I keep on going. Like this week, I got a random Instagram DM from someone who said that they just found my podcast and they were so excited to binge and dive into the 60 plus episodes that felt like new territory for them. That's really amazing to me. So I want to implore you to share this episode if you really enjoy it with one friend. Um, And also, you can always keep in touch and reach out to me through Instagram at just Darian. I'm constantly checking my DMs or through the podcast Instagram account. That's just simply am I allowed? All right, let's get into this. Okay, cool. Can we share this? <laughs> oh, could she have a glass of water? Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, that's great. Appreciate that. Thanks. Let me take a picture of you. You look kind of cool. How does it look? It looks cool. Let me see. Cute. So, the, the, the issue that we have run into in the past was that I was... A little too overprepared for our conversations because right. we're such close friends that I was trying to create and knock off these bullet points of things I thought we should be talking about right. versus just having the conversation that we that we have. just always have. Right. And in addition to that, I also think that a lot of our conversations are, are actually, uh, I think they are critiques of te- technology and social yes. media. And of in of human nature, but also we talk about the things we are like really into and think are amazing and people who we just think are living their lives. Very true. Yes. And so I didn't want to structure that this way. I just knew that it might be a, a little bit of a longer conversation, right, right? Of us having a little bit more banter and back and forth. Right. But needless to say all that, I'm really glad that we're here. I'm really glad that we are trying this for the second time. Technically, the third time, third, yeah. <laughs> because I, you know, we, I interviewed you and I met you for the first time three, almost two and a half years ago. Time flies. Time flies. Yeah. And now we're at the Anchor Studios in New York. And Anchor is essentially a company that I actually think is quite cool in how they've pivoted. Mm-hmm. When I first knew Anchor, they were actually an app where you could record into it or you could upload a soundbite into it from your podcast or wherever. Right. And it spit out this like square sound wave card that also kind of transcribed whatever right. the, the audio clip was. And so you could share that. And now the app and also the platform, you can upload their uh, podcast hosting platform. Right, right. It's like a robust, like yeah. all in one. Yeah. And so I think that's really cool. And I think it's also cool how they've pivoted. Mm-hmm. Which you know a lot about, but anyways, that wasn't supposed to be sponsored or like a, it was. That was really what was just on my mind. Love. Yeah. yeah, just showing love. And so, do you like pumpkin spice lattes? I've have had one. I enjoyed uh-huh. it. Okay, yeah, it was fun. I always say that there's another one that they have. They kind of roll them out as it's a, but it's a Christmas drink, and it's like a caramel brulee latte. Hmm. And I always say that's like 
Well, the, like the black girl's pumpkin spice latte. Oh, I like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I just feel like we have to claim a drink for ourselves. That's good. That's and a really I, good idea. And so I really like that one. It's a personal favorite of mine. I don't go to Starbucks, right. but I do go during the Christmas season because I like that, that drink. drink. For that I have drink. To try it out. Yeah, I think it's really good. It's just like a nice, it's definitely a lot of sugar. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, like, that's how all those, all those drinks, drinks are. are. Yeah. But um, I started cutting sugar out of my diet. Mm hmm. You feel better. And I feel so good. Yeah. And I don't crave it the way I used to crave it. Right. And also in addition to that, what helped me to curb my cravings of sugar was apple cider vinegar. Hmm. Whenever Like shots? Like shots of it nice. or even just like a tablespoon of it. Right. It's pretty hard to swallow alone. You could also dilute it, right? Yeah. And drink it in a cup of water. But um, I like I like the strong like little shot. Or, me too. Yeah. Like, I love cleared, ginger shots. It feels like it's clearing your whole body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I love ginger palate. shots. I love anything that is, like, a spicy drink that feels like it's just, like, clearing interrogating yeah. your intestines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or your liver or, you know, your throat. So I'm, like, into it. Yeah, sugar makes me feel like crap, too. Makes mm -hmm. me feel like a zombie yeah. if I have too much of it. Tell me how you're feeling post-release of your book. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling like, you know... It's weird because I feel like it just happened, but it didn't. Like there's mm. a part of me that feels like it's new. And then there's part of me that feels like it's old, basically. And I guess it's because I was spending a whole year writing it. So I'm, I had the whole experience of being behind the scenes. And so mm -hmm. I know how much I, how much energy got put into it. And so it's interesting to now have other people enter that energy and read the book with me. And it's still so new to so many people. Right. Like I, I it's get like music. Right, exactly. Like I get mentions every day where people are like, oh, I just bought it, you know? And I'm like, okay. Like, so you just bought it. You haven't read it yet. Where my head is like, I'm already kind of thinking about other concepts, like the next right. book I'd want to write or just other things I want to talk about. Mm -hmm. So, but it's been amazing. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's a freaking dream come true. Yeah. I think that when I explain your book to people, I was explaining it to one of the the head of production who we just met, um, his name is John. And I was talking to him about you and about your book. And I said, essentially, she wrote a book for artists and for creatives that talks to them about um, how to create community and how to share their work. Right. But at its foundation, it's a book on human nature. Right, right. And I really feel like it's a good book to read as a refresher of like what like why we're all here like why yeah. are we all on the internet you yes, know yes yes maybe not all of us but definitely me and the creatives i think i really wanted to appeal to creatives because we get so lost in the sauce of like what am i supposed to do versus like what is going to matter right and what is gonna add on to my work and the world mm -hmm. versus just like create noise because the internet is like 99 percent just noise like people mm -hmm. just showing up because a boss told them, hey, apparently it's really good if we tweet this many times. Apparently it's really good if we get these many views. But it doesn't question what, well, why? Yeah. To what end and at what cost? What do we lose? What has been a learning lesson? And I know that this is like such a cliche question, but I'm really curious to know maybe something that you learned or maybe you didn't realize that you realized after your book was published. And you can take a minute to think about it if you want. But, you know, maybe something that you just, like, weren't expecting. I kind of was expecting this, but the book helped confirm for me how many people struggle with reading today. Mm. 
Um, Say more. (laughs) Yeah. So basically, I obviously love studying human nature, right? And so I love figuring out what demand is. And when I say demand, I'm talking about like in the business sense, like what makes people want things and how far are they willing to go to get it? Because I'm coming from a business background. I'm coming from a branding background. So desire is made up of, you know, of marketing. It's like, how do you make something desirable? Right. And I understand that I'm living and we are living in a generation of people who desire to read way more than they are people who desire to have quality information. The millennial generation is not, you know, 20 year olds on their phones anymore. That's now Gen Z. Mm -hmm. We are the older generation. We're asking bigger questions. We want to settle down. We are settling down. And part of what adulthood and maturity looks like to us is absorbing quality information. One of the best ways to do that is by reading. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, because we have been exposed to these advertisement business models that exploit our ability to focus. We don't, we can't focus. Mm. And so the concern and what I've learned in writing this book is that a lot of the stuff I want to say, I want to say it to people who are not taking that time to read. And it's not a judgment call whatsoever mm-hmm. because I understand it's not, again, the desire is there. Right. Yeah. It's almost like the addiction I, sabotages it. Yeah, yeah. But you're having a difficulty tapping in. Right. Because it's not what you, it hasn't been a desire or as strong as a desire as it was maybe from when you were little and right. you were reading all the time or you were in right. middle school. And I've you know? heard of that too. Like I've had a lot of um, readers tell me like, I used to read like three books every summer and mm-hmm. now I can't even read a book a year, you know? And it's like, whoa, what happened? Right. You know, what so, did happen? Well, that's what I've been. <laughs> we'll talk about that. Studying like mm-hmm. crazy um, the past, I want to say like few years, but I think the past six to 12 months I've been really figuring out how to articulate it yeah. to the world. Yeah. I'm curious to know, because, I mean, we were having this conversation, not yesterday, two days ago. You came you came over, we were drinking some wine. Of course. And I brought up to you, I said, oh, I was on Humans of New York. Oh, okay, <laughs> yes. And so, not specifically about that situation, but yeah. what that is, what that is reflecting to both of us, right? Right. So, I'm on Humans of New York, and there is this guy, and he is talking about um, how our attention is for sale. He's some random dude. No one knows who he is. I don't even know if they eventually picked up on who he is. Right. And there were people who tagged you and said, oh, Alex Wolf has been talking about this. And I said to you verbally, I had mentioned this post to you, and you already knew what I was talking about because people had tagged you in it. Right. But there was someone who also said, have you been influenced by Tristan? What's his last name? Harris. Harris. And you were just explaining to me Rightfully so, why that gets you upset. Right. Because it makes you feel like people do not have the context for the work that you have been doing. Right. And that you have maybe been appropriating his ideas around attention when you have been also like doing this work and talking about this. Right. And so I know that you are someone who you love to read about human nature, like anthropology, about technology media advertising and how all of them intersect, right? Right. Media ecology is like the proper phrase. Media ecology. Yes. I never heard that phrase before. (laughs) And so what I know is the people who have in the, in the minds that have definitely you've learned from and who have influenced your work at, as a reader, right. And as someone who they have helped you to build upon your own theses. Right. But what I want to know from you is 
kind of like in these situations that maybe make you frustrated that someone is, you know, that sometimes people don't always have the context for the work that you're doing. Right. And they maybe see someone else who has more visibility or has more money around doing similar work. How do you deal with that or how do you plan to deal with that? Um, Have you figured it out yet? Yeah, I think there's a few things happening, right? It's like one is that I I don't it is frustrating to feel invisible in these types of conversations because I'm mm-hmm. very visible for other conversations. If people right. want to talk about women empowerment or things that have to deal with sort of like the dialogue that I was talking about, you know, 3 years ago, then I'm the first per- person people call. And I understand it takes a while for people to acclimate to what you're working on as of today. That's a thing for artists across the board. Mm-hmm. And so I think I try to be patient and and understanding at that whole concept and knowing that it takes time for people to really grasp what's important to you and um, really apply that in thinking about you. And I don't want to ever, I completely understand, I think more than anyone, that ideas can't be owned. I think that's why they're so powerful is mm-hmm. because they are in essence, you know, democratized, like anyone can take them and and build on them. I think what just matters to me is that I have space in this conversation and mm-hmm. that I'm also considered as someone who has something valuable to say about this as well. It's not a competition of any sorts. You know, it's really right. just like I'd like to build credibility to a point where I'm not being asked things like, oh, were you influenced by this like, you know, random like if you man? Shut up. <laughs> it's, I think people ask out of genuine curiosity, mm-hmm, I don't think it's meant to insult, Mm-mm. but of course there are all these bigger dynamics at play here. You know, it's like, yeah, well, I didn't work at, you know, Google for years and Lord knows if I had, I'd probably had these ideas, you know, years before, you know right. what I mean? I'm just a girl in a broken apartment, you know, renting books from the library, figuring this shit out. So, um, yeah, I, I'm just trying to be, I'm trying to use it as a challenge to better articulate my ideas and create space so that the years can accumulate in a way that build credibility in my favor Mm -hmm. so that people can be like, oh yeah, like Alex Wolf is also a person who's been talking about this for years. Right, right. Yeah. And almost it's like, you know that there are going to be people who can correct that train of thinking for you on your behalf in a way, which I always think is really cool. Yeah. And I honestly, I prefer coming at it from this direction because I think I all like what's important, first of all, is that the message is being said because it's a very important message and mm-hmm. I care more about it being shared than me sort of like, quote unquote, owning it. Mm-hmm. But I think also I have the advantage of of telling the message as an artist, whereas like if you're coming from a more corporate background or whatever, if just that's not your thing, like we can tell the same message in different ways. I think that's the beauty of the situation. Right. And for different people, right? Right. Not everyone hears one message and Mm -hmm. it it translates for everyone the same way. I think it's also cool for my readers, like my true, true readers, they get irritated as much as I do. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I think it's kind of a fun bond that we share because it's like they get it. Like I don't have to explain myself. Right. Yeah. It's cool when you don't have to explain yourself to the people who you care about right right exactly yeah and they're in on it with me so i don't that helps it from me feeling super isolated and invisible Mm -hmm. and also my friends too like having you and other people 
be like, oh my God, yeah. I was just talking to a friend literally on my way over here and he was like, yeah, like he's bringing up not, not the same guys. He was talking mm-hmm. about another sort of prominent authority mm-hmm. um, who I'm actually pretty cool with. And he's like, yeah, he's been like talking about everything you were talking about last year. Have you noticed that? And I'm like, you know, what am I supposed to do? Run in and be like, hey, stop talking about yeah. the things I talk about. Like, right. it's stupid. Like, I don't want to do that. I think it's just, again, building credibility to the point where nothing has to be said. People already know what's up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then something I that I was talking to you about yesterday that I think is like valid to, to bring up here yeah. so that it's on the record is I was comparing it to like YouTubers in the makeup world. Right. And maybe there's a set of them and they all receive the same press kit, right? Right. And I'm sure that they feel a pressure or they did feel a pressure at one point to get their video up first right. on this press kit or this this new line of makeup that they have. Yeah. But at the same time, sometimes when you are building your community and your credibility, it's actually more like your message will resonate whether you put it out the day after you get the press kit or the knowledge right. or a week after. Because it's building up on the foundation of the relationship you've already yes. established. Yeah. And your style and the way that you communicate with people and how they know they're going to receive what you say differently than maybe someone else who has the same message. Right. But like sometimes no matter what, there is value in your in the way that you are presenting it. Point of view, 100%. It, and so... Yeah. But I think that it is, that takes time, right? And oh, yes. I think that that's the caveat to well, it. Well, I think like one of the things I really want people to understand, and I think I tried to like reiterate this and resonate, is that the internet is become this, has become this um, like virtual room and we are making virtual friends. Like the mm-hmm. relationship someone has built with a Cardi B or an Issa is way more of like a virtual friendship. It's not like big bad celebrity comes in and squishes me with their glamorous life. That is not how they built what they built. Mm-hmm. And with the YouTubers, it's the same exact thing. It's like they're on the camera and it, it's almost like if you close your eyes, it's like you're in the room with them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Especially if you continue to listen to them. This happens on podcasts, Instagram videos, anywhere in the virtual landscape. And I think when you apply that perspective, it makes 100% more sense. And it's like, yeah, duh, don't go on there pretending you're Kim Kardashian because that's not, she came into the game at a completely different time. Right. You know what I mean? That's not going to work. And I think there's a lot to be said about this whole idea of the way that internet authority, people who have internet authority don't seem to have tangible authority outside of that, like in the industry. Yes. And it's really frustrating. It's very frustrating. And I also think that people who are working in more of these traditional media landscapes. And so what I what I say when I mean that is definitely like newsrooms um, that are more traditional news and publication. I think like branding agencies, I think marketing agencies, I think platforms that are creating videos, production houses, any form of media, whether it's reporting or whether it's fun amazing content they're gonna be the ones who like end up losing they're at the more, highest risk right now they're at the highest risk right I now i don't know if you saw the video i made about how traditional media is dying no wait when did you put this out this was like a few weeks ago i'll send okay. it to you but basically the premise is that the, the traditional business 
model for media companies had three pillars, right? And Mm -hmm. it was like one that offers a branded perspective that people can depend on and uh, identify with. Two is that they use that branded perspective to charge advertisers for to rent out space between the branded perspective that they have. Mm -hmm. And then three, back in the day, they'd be able to actually charge subscribers for like the cable plan or the magazine or whatever. And that really was viable before the internet. Obviously, the internet came, crashed the fact that you can't, the the advertisement spaces decreased in actual value and Mm -hmm. they continue to, but they still really like, they hold on desperately to try to get those ad spaces to keep them alive. Mm -hmm. And of course, like the average consumer is not going to spend or subscribe to the branded perspective because we don't really have, we haven't built a relationship with these media outlets the same way our parents have, or maybe older millennials Also, I don't care about ads. Right. Oh, well, advertisements then, don't work. And yeah, yeah. And, and that's the other thing, too. I don't care about an ad if if it's in the break of an article. And I don't care about an ad, actually, if it's in between two Instagram stories of my two separate well, it's friends. So, it's so interesting you say that. Like, because, I don't care at all. Right. And But that, it's so interesting because we don't consciously care. Like, yeah. we don't care about it, even though we don't think about it or it seems like we don't care. It has these crazy negative lethal effects on our society yes so we can deal with it like we can ignore it and like live but the result is to circle back to what i was talking about before is that it's pushed like you know how we talk about pollution like Mm -hmm. you know like physical garbage that's what's happened to the media landscape so because the internet created this like big black hole that we've had so much stimulation that now it's like okay, I don't care if I see the ad, but that action being repeated literally millions and millions, if not billions of times a day has depleted the attention span. Yes. So now what we lose, it's okay, whatever, Instagram ad, I don't care. But underneath that, what we're losing is the ability to focus, which means we're losing our relationship to art, to intellectualism, to the quality of our human Mm -hmm. relationships. And that's what freaks me the fuck out. And also our ability to care. Right. Because something that I have actually realized about myself is how many things I have decided not to care about <laughs> this year. And I don't even I think part it. of that's an upgrade, though, to be honest. Yeah, I think part of it is, it is, is an upgrade. But there are some things that I mean that in, in the way of I think about our political landscape right okay. now. Right, right, right. Right. Yes, yes, yes. And sometimes I feel like how information and how ads are presented to me, it bleeds over to how I am viewing other areas of my life that I should care about, right? Absolutely. Like, because of this current presidency, because of just the polluted, corrupt, particularly polluted and corrupt landscape of politics right now, I will go on Twitter and I'll see that, like, there is this huge thing that I'm supposed to care about. Right. But I'm just like, honestly. Well, I think part of that, too. Fuck y'all. I think, but I think a lot of that comes from the fact that it's almost impossible to take the average American and be like, hey, here's this really complex problem that's happening in our country. Figure it out. Here's Twitter. (laughs) You know what I mean? And it's like, you're getting all these different tweets and links and it's it's a mess to untangle that. Right. Because not only do you have to try to find the facts, but you have to like figure, you have to apply all this critical thinking and have all this like larger context to how the government even works and what really matters. Right. And so of course it's like, Oh fuck that. I'm going to go back on Instagram and like this picture because 
what's happening again is these advertisement business models create a social aperture, which is really, really, really tiny. And the only way a motherfucker can get through mm-hmm. is if they're simple and visually stimulating. I think that's the reason why Trump is in office to begin with is because he spoke to America like fifth graders mm. and it worked because it was simple. It was, you know what I mean? We, it was not complicated. We used to be somewhat, believe it or not, an intellectual com- uh, company, country. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, we used to be somewhat of an intellectual country where we could like talk about politics and serious matters of our livelihood and things like that. And now, because they're cluster Fs, of the internet, you know, you look at the prosecution that Facebook is under and Twitter mm-hmm. is under. It's because they're threatening democracy. They're threatening, you know, literal life itself. I want to go back a little bit to our point that we were talking about between like traditional media, even yes. traditional media that feels cutting edge. Right. And influencers. They're the same thing. What's the same thing? Well, influencers are as much, if not more powerful than even the biggest media companies right now. Yes. Yes. And so I feel like we haven't gotten to the point where we, that has played out yet in a way where it, that's like known to the general public. No, it's not even known to the people at the media companies and it's not even known to the influencers. (laughs) It's not even known to them either. Yeah. But I'll give you, I'll give you three good examples Mm -hmm. of something I noticed in the past week. The first one was this morning when Samarella, do you remember Samarella? No. Samarella, she started making videos on Vine. Then when that ended, she went over to Instagram and she was making longer videos. But she is also an artist. And I've never talked to you how I felt like there were actually a lot of women who used comedy to grow followings as music artists. Yes, yes, yes. So I don't ever know if that's intentional, but like B. Simone has done it. Like there are a couple other who like they use comedy and acting and they're they're quite they're build a following. Yeah, Yeah. and they're talented at it. Samarella just released a really good, like catchy song and an excellent music video for it. Nice. And to me, that was like such a reflection of she didn't do it under a record label. Right. She doesn't need to. She has three million right. followers on offer? Instagram. Exactly. And also she made it wasn't a tacky video. It was like something that you and I would watch and be like, oh, that's cool. I get it. Yeah. Um, very kind of Cardi, like Cardi B style song. Right. Cardi B style song. I love it. And to me, that was just such a another eye opener for how she could really take her career to me i wouldn't even relate it to a chance the rapper thing where like he was an artist and like he decided not to get signed right i wouldn't even compare it to someone like um like bad baby remember that girl who went on dr phil and then this is this is a girl who's from atlanta and has a like Cardi B story in the in the way of she created a community online right. through funny videos and now she's using it to create a career right. that may not any longer involve her making videos for videos. Instagram. Right. What, exactly and that's very and, Cardi. Yes. Cuz Cardi doesn't have those videos up anymore. I know. I have to like find them on right. the explore page. <laughs> but I say all that to say that my my main point is that influencers are finding ways to um not be traditional influencers that they were oh yeah one or two years ago influencer i think especially for the point of this conversation and most is it's just a word for like popping on social media 
that's all it means because you can think of influencers like you know pretty perfect girls who have like you know beautifully curated igs Mm -hmm. or you can think of influencer like what we're talking about now yeah but the point is like you have attention in the virtual world yeah you know um and yeah i think that way is way more effective and then this girl, her name is Amber. She's like just living baby oh on my Instagram. God, I love her. Did I'm you so like waiting for her come up? The the feature she had? She is in Summerella's video. She makes a cameo in it. Thank God. And in addition to that, Amber also was on the cover of like this virtual magazine I called Salty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, well, number one, I, I, I think Salty's really brilliant. Like they're they're definitely doing Was like, it the first time you heard of it? Um no, okay. I, I had been following it. That's how I had seen the cover. And it's like, yeah, that's a digital cover. It's not gonna be sold in Right, right, right. But there is a huge chance that it will make more impact. Because it's leveraging the real talent, what's really going on right. in the culture. Right. Which is her. Which is her. What I, I tweeted the other day, I was like, why is she not at every female empowerment conference? Oh my God. Why? What is happening? Like, she needs Sis. a check. I'm so tired of, and I want to talk about Shiggy for a little bit because like, oh um, yeah. Like having all these crazy like theses about like what he's doing we and need his to talk career. About Shiggy. <laughs> but yeah, I'm like, um, she's inspiring half of Instagram. You know, that's an exaggeration, but you know, a shit ton of Instagram. Right. She's a household name for us and for my friends. Right. So I'm like, why is she not being taken seriously again in the industries that would normally fund that type of service? Right. And that you'll find that in makeup, you'll find that in comedy, in music. It's like they're already popping. Like the demand is there. They right. figured it out. Either you is you acknowledge the fact that they have more power and work with them or get crumbled right because that's what's gonna happen and a part of me really and maybe this is just the sagittarius in me yes but a part of me wants influencers to view it more as like leveraging power right versus an opportunity thank you and, okay so and i and i just feel like particularly as people of color we because we often have not grown up with this generational wealth and access to power it's the that, access to power. Yeah, yeah, that we are familiar with. Yeah. It feels like, like an some, opportunity. Right. And I want, I don't want people to feel that way. I want them to understand that they are the opportunity. Shiggy is not Drake's backup dancer. Right. <laughs> that needs to be known because that infuriates me. He is so talented and I'm happy he's happy and I'm happy. You know, he definitely loves dancing. It's not like he just started dancing. Mm -hmm. He's been making dancing videos for a while and they've been funny. But I look at the situation where, you know, they had Shiggy host the red carpet for the VMAs. And I looked at the pictures and everyone, obviously, like I'm sort of out of the loop. Like I want to acknowledge that. Like I don't really know who's cool at the VMAs. But I will say that everyone that Shiggy took a picture with, I'm like, who the fuck is this? You know what I mean? Like, why Why is he holding the mic right. to these people's faces? Well, he they, was a correspondent. Okay. At the, that's why. But, 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 but no, I get my it. Point, my point is that why are they not holding the mic to his face? Yes. And the problem is that we're not paying attention to who really has the power here. Because to someone like Shiggy, I would assume that he's like, oh, wow, this is really cool. VMA is like MTV acknowledges me and like wants me to 
be a part of that because we're taking all that like it's all brand right it's all reputation i, I grew up watching vmas you know every mm-hmm. that's popping right but today this is a tradition right but today it's like i hate to break it to you but like you're more popping than the vmas in its entirety or mtv period thank you so switch the mic give miley cyrus's sister the mic because yeah. that's one of the people he had why, why are you holding her mic like, I get what you're saying. Me, that's though. insulting yeah. to our whole culture. Right. You know what I mean? Like, no diss to her, but it's just like, excuse me, do you know who the you're talking to? Like, right. he's gained our respect and our attention in, in a very genuine, authentic way. And I think that, you know, of course, I'm not saying he should be turning down these opportunities, but I think as a community, we need to be thinking about, okay, but this is not like the goal. Like, right. the goal can't be to be Drake's Backup dancer or to for be this associated one with season. a brand that is like, I don't know, is not making the kind of money that they're having trouble making money and they're having right. trouble gaining engagement and views and clicks to their platforms, to their docuseries and to their shows. Right. So I'm just over here like, again, pay attention to who really has the power, who's really doing who the favor. You know what I mean? The only reason why you're getting invited is because they need you. They need you. You don't need them. Right. <laughs> and and I and like think, get cocky with that. Seriously. And I but I think it will help as if as a community we start to acknowledge that. Mm. Because I think part of what hurts me is people being like, Yeah, you made it, chick. You know, everyone's like, Oh yeah. I'm like, no, like music videos are the concept of a music video is from literally the eighties. Like music videos became poppin' because MTV was a poppin' channel when people had cable and TV. Mm-hmm. Like that is literally an outdated concept in of itself. Mm-hmm. We don't we don't like expose ourselves to music videos, you know, randomly the way we used to. Right. So why are we excited that he was in it? <laughs> why are we considering this the end? Kiki, do you love me? Are you riding? He broke the freaking internet. Na, 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 I got na, na, an na, na, email na. from Google. Like literally last week and the opening sentence infuriated me. The opening sentence was, did your, did you or your brand get in on the hashtag in my feelings challenge? It literally said that. And it it said from Drake's song. That's what it said. And it broke me because I was like, they don't even say his name. Yeah. They don't even say his name. So I had to say all that because. I'm really glad you got that out. (laughs) I think that people will have a better understanding of how, and I hope there are some some influencers out there who listen to this and take some lessons on how they should be um, transitioning their attitude. Yes, I'm rooting. I'm I'm rooting for the for for the right people for the right people who have um, who I think should be influential, basically. Right. I think that something that we often don't talk about, at least for me, coming from a background of news. Right. To me, I always kind of felt like journalists were some of the original influencers. Mm-hmm. Because if, and that was part of the problem in a way, not of journalists being influencers, but more of the lack of diversity, like within newsrooms, right. of how people, of how essentially coverage was influencing people's perception of the world. Yes. And so, I often 
view journalists as influencers because they are influencing people and right. in our perception of what is going on. Right. You know, and, and what's so, relevant and all that. Exactly. Yeah. Of what they're writing about and what they feel is, is important, what they feel is important and how they, and how they scale that, but also how they determine that. Right. Right. So anyways, what else did I want to talk about with you? Oh, I can't believe we haven't already done this, but now that we've said all of this and we've <laughs> talked about attention and who has our attention, mm-hmm. let's talk about attention for sale. Okay. Tell me why you decided to make this documentary versus uh, writing another book. Yeah, I think, you know, again, to the point is like, I really want to speak to peop- to smart people who don't read. Mm-hmm. And smart people who don't read watch docs. And, you know, so I was like, again, like one of my biggest influences, very obvious in my work, is Marshall McLuhan, who was like, he sort of was like the godfather of media ecology. Like he was one of the first people to be like, the medium is the message. And um, I figured like, there's no point of me writing this if no one's going to read it. The whole point is figuring out how to use the medium in a way that's going to actually penetrate public discourse. So it's not even a doc. It's like a mini doc mm-hmm. because Lord knows, you know, <laughs> Lord knows you made a 60 minute doc. Right. Or, if, I, if I can't articulate it in, right. in 15 minutes or less, right. it's not going to, again, make it through that small social aperture. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very scary. It's like a like I see it like a like a closing door. Mm-hmm. And it's like to get anything through that door, you have to move really quick. Because it's just getting tinier and tinier. I see. And we hate ourselves for it, too. Yeah, we do. It's causing this cultural self-hate and embarrassment because it's embarrassing to be helplessly addicted to your phone as a 30, you know, 31-year-old or late 20s-year-old. Like, we don't, we kind of want to, it's like we got into the internet as teens and our model for adulthood were people who were not on the internet so I think we're kind of going into adulthood like, okay, this is when I'm like done, right? right. And it's like hell to the no. Like <laughs> now it gets more intense. Now you have to adult on the internet and compete your adulthood on the internet. And it's like, wait, I can't just leave? Like I used to be able to log off when I was 13. Right. <laughs> you know? So Put up my away message. Right. Like, uh, not any longer. Thanks. This was cool. What is the main point that you want to get across in your doc what do you want people to or i want you to think about it this way yes let's say i don't know you i came a a friend i messaged me a link to your doc i watched the entire thing and i go to dinner a few hours later with another friend and i say hey i watched this really interesting doc how do you want people to sum up sum up what they've learned yes mega funded advertisement business models create a lethal combination for society in the sense that they threaten the quality of art, intellectualism, and human relationships. Okay. And what do you think we should do about it? Um, I think that part of building this documentary, like so many people were like, well, what's the solution? Right. And I'm like, eh, I'm not really a, a solutions girl. <laughs> I know that's kind of depressing. But I'm so, I think there's so much art and joy for me in articulating problems. Mm. Because I think what's really important is we figure out what's really happening. Because the thing is, I don't want people to think this is a thing about phone addictions. That's what I didn't want. Because it's like, duh, we're addicted to phones. Like, what else is new? Right. 
this is bigger than that. It's about the relationship between our senses and the culture, mm. like our human body, our eyeballs, our ears, our hands to culture itself and how it's being exploited by culture. The phone is the vehicle and how it's being exploited. Mm -hmm. But I'm not going to, you know, Lord knows, I, I firmly believe that if Steve Jobs saw how the app market became what it became, he would flip out. Um, there was a in, in his biography, there's a, a quote where they talk about how someone sort of like had a nasty critique of the iPad too, because they said something like, I don't see what it is. I don't see, I don't get what it is more than just like a time waster. And apparently that really like upset jobs. And you know, he, mm -hmm. he gets, he gets critiqued all the time, but for some reason that was the one critique that made him, cause they, they were also referencing a child wasting their time on the iPad and it kind of fucked him up. Yeah. And I'm like, hmm. So if he had an issue, and mind you, he died in 2010, right? So that, you know, I think social media hasn't become a social norm and has created its own like ecosystem and culture only like only in the past three to four years to the way. Because I remember three or four years ago, me going around and saying I want to do social media marketing and people being like, there's no money in that. Like no one's going to. You know, and now it's like all that exists. Yeah. So literally this has happened in the span of three or four years after his death. And Lord knows that, you know, Jobs takes one step away from Apple and it, it's managed completely differently. Mm -hmm. So when I think about all of that, I'm like, yeah, it's not about the phones. Yeah. It's about us, our bodies. Right. Our consciousness. I think that you bringing up you're not for sure what the solution is and you really understanding kind of your role in all of this, right? right. You're the one asking questions. The solution, up I, oh, I want to say too, the solution mm -hmm. is put your phone down, but good luck. You yeah. know what I mean? The solution is don't work, don't live in a world where attention being accumulated is rewarded, but good luck. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that's the answer, right? But you're fighting against an addiction and a, a, an extremely complex uh, economy yeah so good luck <laughs> i always I, I think that's something that our friendship has always pushed me to do or or to almost be someone where especially as a creative and someone who likes slowly i'm starting to view myself as an artist and it's been really fun yes, yes. you know yes. but i also feel like i'm someone out here trying to find the solutions not for the world but definitely for me right you know yeah and so i just think that you present the information right and you present the problems yeah. and now it almost feels like a challenge to me like okay like and that's exactly what i want right because i think more gets done when i don't tell people what to do mm -hmm. or when anyone tells doesn't tell people what to do mm -hmm. because then and it assumes it assumes the responsibility is yours yeah you like we figure it out you figure it out i'm trying to figure it out right you know how many times i've tried to break my phone addiction you know how <laughs> impossible it is i say in the end of the doc like and like there's all these like tech authorities that are being seen as like you know so profound for telling people to get off just like just get off social media and i'm like that's the equivalent of telling someone you know when cars were being built into the the ecosystem of the society like oh well just don't have a car well cars are killing people and they're causing all these crazy things and we'll just don't have a car right our whole world is built off the internet you can't just tell me to get off I'm not, no one's going to be able to find a job. You want me to work at a farm? I mean, some people Ooh. do it. Right. That You're sounds like, cool. Exactly. But it's like, that's okay. That's a minority of yeah. people who are like, ooh, 
You know what I mean? Or like who this are gonna idea. realistically going to do right. it? Right, or realis- realistically going to do it. Yeah, like so m- most people, it feels like they're okay with how we're living. Or they're just trying to adapt. I don't even think we know what we're living in, though. I don't think so either. Like, I think we I don't still think, think I know. I think we're mentally, I think we were talking about this. Like, people still use Instagram like it's 2013. Like, that's a thing. <laughs> yeah. It's possible to be on the internet in 2018 and use it like it's 2013. Explain what you mean when you say when you say that. Like one example. I mean in I mean like using Instagram the way you would use Facebook or the way people used Facebook sort of is like this stream of what appears to be accomplishments in your life that you feel the need to archive in a aesthetically pleasing way. The whole concept of Facebook is super outdated. Because it's like, um, we, we live here now. So I don't need to, I, I just sort of show up on the, on the internet like right now. Right. That's what was so revolutionary about Snapchat and why they had to steal that feature. Because Snapchat was assumed already that people were going to be on here all the time. So that's why it's creepy. That's why we're all kind of like, oh God, what did we do right. with Facebook? Why did, we, why did we post all of that? Why did we, right. the only reason why we have to ask that question is because it was archived. Snapchat was different in that it disappeared. Yeah. And it created, it's consistent with reality itself, which is ephemeral. It's like, it, it'll fade. Where Facebook is like this big, clunky, blue, gross feed. Yeah. With like, like buttons. And Ugh. another thing about using Face or using Instagram like it's 2013 or 2015 is using it as a highlight reel. Right, yeah. And I really... I think it's how we're trained to, but for me, I know that I'm really, I feel like I've gotten myself out of that habit. I think you have to. Because I want to be transparent and I want people to know the full, like if I'm going to be here, I want people to know when I do something amazing, Right. when I'm questioning myself, when I'm not at my best, but also when I am at my best or when I'm feeling good about myself, you know? I think you've been doing a great job of that recently. I think also, too, I want to, like, I'm, like, reiterating in my head, I think, the difference. The difference is that, one, you play for the likes and one, you don't. Right. It's like, oh, well, I know nice pictures get me more likes. Like, that's such a 2013 concept. Like, if you're on the internet for likes right now... But the, but you're the crazy your, time, your life the crazy thing that but I will say though is that what is annoying is that the algo encourages that of course so that's what people so that's what annoys me is right. like you need the selfies or you need or whatever kind of feed you have built right you have to continue to you I think that people have feel like they have to continue to get more of it right. do more of that but the and exactly and it's so true because the the algo is is um feeding the business model yes but it's not feeding like obviously your soul and it's not necessarily feeding your business and it's Mm -mm. not necessarily feeding your artistry so why feed the algo yeah and that was so much of what i was trying to talk about and resonate where it's like who cares technology or not your art will still function Mm -hmm. because it's supposed to get people to feel stuff and nothing is going to penetrate should be right the likes will never reflect it might it might kind of reflect it might be a byproduct of how much your work is appreciated but don't let that distract you it's an right. illusion right so people using instagram for that i'm like 
Next. Next. We're going to 2000. It's going to be 2020. Right. In it, a year and a half. If anything, I definitely do feel like anyone who is able to make people feel something, yeah. and that's why they're showing up on their algorithm. But also, in addition to that, you can see it through their comments too. Like right. to me, yes. I'm not a big commenter. Right. But if you can move me right. to comment. I don't think anyone's a big commenter. Like. Except kind of weirdos. Yeah, commenting is a, like is an act of effort. Yeah, right. and so to me, I think it's paying attention to more of what people have decided to share with you, right? In how they feel, yes, or how you're making them feel. There, I feel like that's definitely a better indicator, if if anything, than a sedated double tap. Yeah. Yep. Okay, let's try to do this plus one segment. Okay. <laughs> is there anything you can think of right now, a person, place, thing, experience that you're loving right now? Alan Watts, he was a philosopher. He's super dead. He died in the 70s. He's super dead. Yeah. Um, but I listen to him all the time. I have like two of his books in my bag right now. And he, he talked a lot about Taoist philosophy. And it's been really enriching my life and my spirit and has really taken the edge off and has helped me. I always knew that I never wanted to really be attached to external accolades, like awards and being like, again, sort of like this IG culture of like, oh, I have to, I'm not significant unless I'm recognized in these, like mm -hmm. by these brands. And mm -hmm. I really have, I think, graduated from a lot of that because of his work. That's awesome. Yeah. I think that my plus one is going to be Jackie Aina. Mm. So over the summer... I got really into YouTube and maybe you might have something to say about this behavior, but I, w I, mean, I was never a big YouTube watcher. Right. I just, I don't know. I just never went on as like a destination or a, ho or a homepage of sorts where I was looking for content or things. Right. I never followed YouTubers or anything like that. But over the summer, I kind of, I've just found myself with more time on my hands. And so I started to like rummage through YouTube. Yeah. And I came across Jackie Aina. She's a content creator, a, a makeup artist, and she's a huge figure in the beauty and the makeup community on YouTube. Right. Um, she has a couple lines of makeup that she's done in collaboration with brands. But I just really want to give her a shout out because I think that she works really hard, number one, to create um, truthful, transparent, balanced reviews of of makeup despite her relationships in the industry. Mm -hmm. I think that she is actually an incredibly huge player in influence in this push for mm -hmm. more shades. I feel like people accredit it to Fenty and Rihanna, and I think yeah. that's totally valid. But I think that the way that Jackie has dragged brands on YouTube right. shook them yeah. into thinking harder. Right. And so I also think that people don't really accredit her with the skills of what it really means to be a YouTuber. Oftentimes, most of the time, they're editing their own work. Right. They are coming up with right. um, with good thumbs, good image thumbs. Like that's really and crucial. Just concepts in concepts, mm -hmm. headlines, copy. Their business people. I feel like I'm still wearing the same makeup. She hasn't really uh, changed your purchase behavior. Changed my purchase behavior. Right. But she is someone who. That's interesting. She hasn't changed my purchase behavior, 
Well, but, maybe she has, but in a subtle way. Like maybe yeah. it's not like she changed it in the fact that like you you're buying a new product, right? But maybe the insight you go into a Sephora is different because of her videos. Yes, yes. The way that she talks about foundation terms and colors are things that yes, I think the knowledge. Yeah. Is that's super she important. And she that helps a lot of knowledge. the experience of going into an overwhelming place like Sephora. Yes. Because Lord knows, like, the more context you have for, like, what to look for. What, right. You know, like you said, colors, textures, whatever. And so, anyway, shout out to her. I think that she's and that's someone. Why, yeah. Sephora needs to be thankful for people like that. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Because they improve the buying experience in their store. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I hope that Jackie listens to this. And so that she... If she needs, she's reminded of that. Um, but I really like her. I think she's super dope. And I hope that she continues to really leverage YouTube yeah. to create this career that outlasts right. all of that. And she's not making videos longer than she hopes to. And it really, you know. Right. So anyways, Alex, I think, I think we did it. I think, yeah. yeah. I think we more than did it. I think we did it. I am so grateful for you. Likewise. And for our friendship. I always tell people, I'm like, Alex and I, we're real life friends. We're not internet friends. Right. We're not posting about each other for cool points. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I appreciate you. Thank you. And yeah. Thank you. This was fun. Yes. Yay. That was good. That was awesome. That was really, really awesome. Thanks for listening. This episode is hosted by me, Darian Smith-Harvin, and produced by Jason Crow. If you loved this episode, leave a review and or share with a friend. Also, follow Am I Allowed to Like Anything on Instagram at Am I Allowed. Until next time.